Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, today is Pentecost Sunday. It was the day where we remember that in a, in a place just like this, in an upper room, there was a bunch of believers. And in those moments as they gathered together and they sought God with everything within them, as they prayed and they cried out to God, we remember those moments where the Holy Spirit came. My prayer today for all of us, that we won't just hear my voice but they might, this morning we might feel and experience the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. That He would be alive in everything that we look at today. And it's interesting. I, you know, everything that I've been preparing this week, it only dawned on me last night that today would be Pentecost Sunday. And yet what God wants to say to us today lines up so well with what God did back then and what God is going to do today. So can we just pray as we prepare ourselves this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are alive. Lord, as we gathered around communion this morning, as we stopped, we paused in the business of everything to remember that, that you died, but that you didn't stay dead. But Lord, that Jesus, this morning that we remember that three days later you rose again, that in a room just like this, and not too far down the track, your Holy Spirit would come and fill, and the world would be changed because of you. The world would be changed because of what you did in that place. And so Jesus, this morning, God, before we open your word, before much else is said, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We, we long, God, we long to meet with you this morning. God, we've put aside our agendas and the business and the chaos and the things. Because God, this morning, we just want to connect with you. God, we just want to hear from you. God, we want you to stir and challenge our lives. So, Lord, as we walk out of this place, God, we might be just a little bit different from how we walked in. So, Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. Have your way in these moments that we gather together in Jesus' mighty name. His powerful, risen, living name. The name above all names, the King above all kings. Jesus, in your name. Well, welcome to week two of the Beyond series, Beyond Month. You know, this series that we're looking at over this is called Revival. And, and I am so passionate and so excited about this because I just so believe that right now is such a moment in time for us. That this, the preparation of the, the Revelation series walking into this and what we're walking into now is such a perfect moment. And God wants to meet us here. And so as you can see up on, the, this, uh, up on here, we've got a big yellow door. I mean, we've all got many doors in our houses, don't we? We've all walked through many, many doors to get here. I was tempted to count the number of doors that just leaving my bedroom to get to this moment. But I was actually thinking this week about a strange door. It's called a revolving door. Who's ever walked through a revolving door? Like they're not the most popular doors. Like I'd love to have one in my house just for fun's sake, but it's totally impractical. 
I remember, I remember years ago walking through a, a, a revolving door. And like if you've ever been through a revolving door, they're challenging. Because there's, there's a bunch of components. If you go too early, you walk into the corner of the revolving door, and that's not good. You know, if you're too late, you know, you, 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 you just don't get in there at all because the, the next door is already around. And if you're overly ambitious... A little bit like me. You're overly ambitious, like you, you try and run in before the next thing comes around, but then the next door starts coming around and you run straight into the door. In fact, I remember a couple of years ago, I'm standing out the front of a hotel and I was watching the revolving door go around. And I saw this little old lady kind of wander up and she did the awkward pause because we all do it. You know, we all stand there and you kind of do the timing thing, you get a rock back and forth. No, yes, one, two. And, and, and so she made it in and I watched her go around once, two, and she's doing this one, three, four, and then she got around to the sixth time, and then I realized she's stuck. And there's a couple of other people, we're all sitting there, we're all nudging each other going, what's going on here? And then I realized she was stuck, and so this other lady actually had to go into, she had to do the rock back and forth to get into the revolving door, and she had to help the little old lady to get out of the revolving door. And I could look on the expression of gratitude and relief, but there also fear, because she realized she was going to have to go back out their door to get out. You know, we all go through a variety of different doors. Have you ever thought about why there is doors? Because we build walls, and so we need doors. You know, walls divide us, but doors bring us together. Walls are built to divide us, to keep the people out that we want to keep the people out and keep the people in that we'd like to keep the people in. But doors bring us together. I um, want us to open this morning to a passage that's found. It's a, it's a parable that Jesus tells in the, Luke, in the book of Luke chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles or a phone with, a, with an app on it, you can open up to Luke chapter 14. We're going to open and we're going to start in verse 16. And it tells the story like this. Jesus replied, a man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell all those who's in, been invited to come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see the field, please excuse me. The second one says, I brought a, a yoke of oxen and I'm away to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come out. And the, the servant came back and reported all of this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring back the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has already been done. But there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house might be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my, not, not, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of 
my banquet. Now, let me give you a little bit of context of what was going on. Jesus here is sitting in a Pharisee's house. So the religious leaders had called Jesus. Really, they were trying to catch Jesus out. And so here, Jesus is sitting lunch with a bunch of Pharisees, and he begins to tell this story. See, what, what we don't understand now in 2022 is this, that they lived in a culture of people who were in and people who were out. See, the Jews on this side, they were firmly in because they were Jews. And everyone else, the Gentiles and the everyone else, you're out on this side simply because you weren't a Jew. And, and parties of the day were a sign of social status. And what, what parties did, and in some ways it still happens today, it reveals to us and shows to us who you like better than others. You know, we like this group and we don't so much like this group. And the culture of the day defined a person by its stature, whether they came through the doors and whether they sat behind the walls on the inside of the inclusion or whether they were excluded. But Jesus here, in a, in a moment in front of a whole bunch of religious leaders who, as, as they sat here and, and heard Jesus' story, thought it was a little bit outrageous. And Jesus here flips it on its head and he changes it all up. See, not one of the religious leaders sat there and thought, that's a great idea, Jesus. Every one of the religious leaders and everyone gathered there looked at Jesus and thought, Excuse me, sir, that's, that's just not how it's done. But Jesus does it anyway. And I want to highlight to us two words this morning out of this, out of this parable. And there's a word that's found in verse 18, and I believe it's one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. One word, the word excuse. See, what we've got to understand, this wasn't just any invitation I mean, this is a really big deal. This is a huge moment to be able to go to this wealthy landowner. In fact, many people would suggest that this would have been a, a significant wedding day of a high-profile couple. And, and here we find these group of people making excuses not to come. Now, if you're married, if you've ever paid for a wedding, you know that weddings aren't cheap, yeah? I mean, everything, to, as soon as you say wedding, flowers, Car, dress, shoes, socks, you know, whatever. Like everything becomes a million times more expensive, doesn't it? And could you imagine, I mean, I, in a couple of weeks' time, two Fridays' time, I married uh, Rach and Steph, one of the young couples here. And I can imagine, you know, if, if we said to Steph and Rach, hey, Steph and Rach, I'd love to be at your funeral, and I know I'm kind of running your funeral, but I can't come because, hey, you know what, like, I bought some land, and I need to go and see it. You know, like, they come up with the most uh, weird options. I mean, like, it was nighttime, and the guy wanted to tap out because he wanted to see his land. I mean, how's he going to see his land? It's nighttime. There's no way of seeing the land. And then you've got the guy who goes, I'm sorry, champ. I'd love to come for your wedding, but I bought some oxen and I want to try them out. I don't even know what that means. I mean, it's not like he bought a Ferrari and we all go, oh, well, that's fair enough. He buys some oxen and he goes, I'd love to come to your funeral. I mean, the oxen, tomorrow they're going to be there. Like, they're not going anywhere. Well, hopefully they're not going anywhere. They're in the fence. But you know what I mean? And sorry, what did I say? Funeral, wedding, sorry. <laughs> Slight difference. <laughs> and then the last one, 
I mean, let's be honest here. The last one comes up with a somewhat legit excuse. I mean, I go, okay, I just got married. I got better things to do. You know, like, uh, you're sitting there going, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure the guy here is going, you know what? Well, I'm trying to get married too, and I want you at my, at my wedding. <laughs> I got it right this time. I had to think through it. It's an awkward pause. I'm still starstruck from off the screen a moment ago. Anyway, <laughs> let me ask you a question. If it was your wedding and some of your nearest and dearest came up with those excuses not to beat your wedding, you know, and that was the best that they could come up with, how would you feel? Uh, I mean, let me be honest this morning. Like, I'd be triggered. Like, I'd be ticked off probably a bunch of other words that I shouldn't use in church. I, you, know, like this, you know, I would be really angry and frustrated. Those people who I love the most can't even take a moment to gather for one of my most important days in my life, and they all begin to come up with excuses. The second word I want to draw our attention to is, is found in the verse beforehand. It's found in verse 17, and it's the word, word invited. But what I find so interesting here about the word invited is it doesn't just start, doesn't just stop here, but it starts here. It starts in, starts in the word invited, and then it moves to the, to the word bring, and then lastly, in verse 21, it comes to the word compel. Invited, bring, compel. See, I love what I love about this story is I love the passion and the persistence of the man. I, I love the passion and persistence of the man who says, you know what, okay, if, they, if that's their best excuses of God, then what I want you to do is I want you to go. I want you to look anywhere and everyone for anyone who will say yes, simply to come to my banquet that I'm paying for and I am putting on for you, even though you shouldn't be there and you've done nothing to deserve being there. I love this story and I love this parable because it reveals the heart of God. It shows us in a very significant way the heart of God that He says, what I want you to do, I want you to go to the, to the back streets, the lanes, the forgotten places to find the people, the, the people that have gone unnoticed, the people that have gone unseen, the people that fall through the cracks, the, the, those who are in need. And I want you to invite them. And if that doesn't work, I want you to bring them. And if that doesn't work, I want you to compel them to come to my banquet. See, this right here, this right here was the most challenging <clears throat> and confronting part of this parable. See, up until this point, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who were in, that were allowed in through the door, they were the ones who sat there and went, this all makes sense. Up until this moment. See, as they heard Jesus say these words, I want you to go out and I want you to get the excluded ones, the ones that are out, the ones that don't fit, the ones that don't, that don't make the grade, and I want you to invite them into my room. I can imagine around that table a bunch of Pharisees who remember they were the in ones, sucked air together and went, oh, you can't do that. I mean, Jesus, like, do you not understand? 
I, I mean, you don't just invite anyone in. I mean, and you know what, Jesus, you, don't, you certainly don't invite those you can't, I mean, we can, we can, over, we can overlook maybe some of the others, but you, Jesus, you don't, not those ones. I, I mean, anyone else, but, but never and not. See, it's hard for us to understand the gravity of what Jesus was saying. It's hard for us to understand why this was so confronting and challenging and why the, the people who were worthless had no value in society's eyes. And we struggle with this concept because for the last 2,000 years since Jesus has died, Jesus, the man of God, has changed our world more than any other human being that's ever existed or will ever exist. See, we now think that it's wrong that people who are poor can't get help. That somehow if you have less, you're of lesser value. You know, we, we look here and go, they, you know, if I suggested some of those things, you would frown at me and you'd probably all walk out and I would condone you to go and do that. You know, we would look at it and go, you know what, you can't treat people like that because they're somehow, they've just, they, they're all born in an unlucky place, an unlucky time, and they just have less than, than maybe you or I might. And it seems strange to us, but it didn't seem strange to them didn't seem strange that people who are poor have less value. But Jesus flips the switch and says that they might have less value in your eyes, but they do not have less value in mine. Because everyone who's invited has value. And this is the scandal of the good news. See, this right here is the scandal of grace, that Jesus would invite the most unexpected people and invite the most inappropriate and unexpected people in, that everyone is invited in a relationship with Jesus. And see, this is the good news, that Jesus is radically inclusive. And see, this is the heart of God, and this also is the heart of our church. You see, for these last couple of years, of everything that we've been through, you know, we started Logan Care here. And we've, we've seek to make a difference in people's lives who are doing it difficult for a variety of reasons. And we've got bags, red bags full of groceries out in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of incredible people's lives who are doing it really tough. And this year, more than ever, Heather and her team the care team, have been inviting people through those doors to come into the parents' room and sit over a cup of coffee and share their story and tell them about, about what's going on in their world. And Heather and the team have been able to provide some support and love and connections. And I've seen so many people leave this place with red bags full of groceries. They have to come back and get more bags full of red groceries. I love the fact that every Thursday, I walk in these doors, and I look in the kitchen, and the benches in the kitchen is piled full of red bags, full of groceries, with names on each one. It says, this one's, this one's going to Amanda, this one's going to Cindy, this one's going to Bob, and, and I know the fact that they've been lovingly and caringly packed for people. 
people like a single mom. I'll call her Jenny. Single mom of four kids who was referred to come here through the chaplain at Marsden State School. And she'd been coming here for a couple of weeks and being able to sit and realize there's a place that cares for her, that wants to hear her story, has a shoulder to cry on, and has received groceries and help and support. And and about four weeks into the journey, she mentioned to Heather that she had a teenage son. So Heather just goes, hey, you know what? You should bring your son to youth on Friday night. And so she did bring her son to youth on Friday night. And for four, four Friday nights, her son came to youth here, just like every other kid did. And last Friday night, our youth ministry, along with 60 other youth ministries in the local area, gathered together for our regional Youth Alive event. And that night, that young guy walked down the aisle, down the front, and gave his life to Jesus. And I know that Tim did it before, but Heather, can I get you to stand for a moment? Thank you, wipe the tear from your eyes. Can I invite the rest of the care team that are here this morning? Some can't because they're sick. But if you are involved in our care teams, can you just jump to your feet? Hey, as a church, can we clap and cheer every one of these? (laughs) Thank you, guys. From your church, thank you for all you do. You know what? Because of the generosity of our church, you can grab a seat. Because our church has prioritized going out. Just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus spoke about. Just like Jesus modeled. We're seeing families like Jenny and her son, their lives impacted. See, that's, church, that's the heart of God. It's the heart of our church. Friend, can I just suggest this morning that this isn't the time for the church in our nation just to, to go into survival mode and shrink back. And go, you know what, things are a little bit tough right now and we're unsure about what the future holds. So we're just going to shrink back and we're going to hide away and we're going to have a holy huddle inside of the building and we're just going to say us and no more the time for us to reach out to see revival come to our community, nation, and world. But as I say that word revival, what what thoughts or emotions go through your mind this morning? What images are conjured up in your heart? You see, revival doesn't just happen, church, when when like some mysterious green fog kind of rolls in off the coast and kind of as it rolls in, it, it sneaks through people's front doors and like hundreds and thousands of people somehow come to know Jesus. See, revival happens inside the church when Jesus changes us and the Holy Spirit changes our lives. See, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, 
then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Church, there's a couple of words that I want to highlight here. If my people, who's my people? Look at each other for a moment. That's you. That's me. If, if my people will call on my name and humble and pray and turn. Humble, pray, and repent. I love the fact here that, that this ends with this. Then I God's not saying, if you do these things, if you, if, you, if you humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, then maybe if I feel like, if you, if you did it good enough, then I will. He says, no, no, no. If you humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will come. See, church, I once heard the definition of insanity and it said this. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I just wonder, I wonder if the church has been doing the same thing for a really long time and expecting a different result. You know, we've, we've talked so many times about revival. We've, we've discussed it, we've got emotional, whatever it might be about revival coming, but we've not done anything different. And to be honest, we've been what we talk about and what is going on inside have too often been very, very different, and I'm as guilty as anyone else. And I want to suggest something this morning. That maybe God allowed COVID and the last couple of years to happen because He wanted to wake up His church. So I wonder if He's allowed these things, and so many of us, including me, God, God, why? We don't like it, it's not pleasant, and everything else. And I wonder if God's allowed some of this stuff to happen because He knew we've been doing it the same way for so long and nothing's happening. That God went, hey, you know what? If you won't, I will. So He sent His Son. And maybe, just maybe, He allowed COVID to happen to shake us up a little. See, if we're going to see revival, we need to wake up and shake up. See, as you know, we, we, a couple of weeks ago, we finished the series in, in the book of Revelation, where Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And the challenge that I had writing a lot of these sermons and, and preaching them was, I'm reading them, and I'm feeling so challenged in myself. See, you know, Jesus here is talking to these bunch of churches, and he's saying, you know what, you've been complacent and lazy and tired and distracted, and you're lukewarm in your faith, and, and as I was... Reading these words, I felt the same challenge about the church today, Big C, and maybe even about our campus today, Little C. But see, I believe that God is calling us back to Him. Jesus is calling us to reignite our faith again, to come back and fall in love with Him again, to let His Holy Spirit change us from the inside out, that we might birth a newfound hunger and desire and desperation for Him, more desperate, more hungry than anything else that we can experience, that we might wake up and we might turn back to Him. See, I believe that 
you can understand why it's so God incidental that I say these words on Pentecost Sunday, but I believe that God is preparing our church for a greater move of the Holy Spirit. That because church, this is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? This is a place that God so deeply loves like every other place. But he wants to see. He wants to bring revival to our nation and to our community. But all we have to do is look around us. All we have to do is look around our community. Look around at the needs and the troubles and the hurts and the pain. Look around at our nation that's lost the war in Ukraine and everything else going on around us. And I don't know if you realize like I realize, but our world, our city, our nation needs Jesus more than ever. We've changed our government. But history will tell us that won't change our country. Only Jesus can change our country. So I believe God's stirring something in us this morning. He's been stirring something in us over these last few weeks. And he's got, he's got something that he wants to do through us. But if you notice the end of this parable, verse 23... You know, before verse 23, we find that, you know, where, where he goes out and says, I want you to invite, and then I want you to bring, and then I want you to, to compel. Notice the intensity. You know, invitation's kind of an easy, and then brings like, well, you get them in a headlock. Maybe not quite that much. And then there's the compel moment, and this is where it finishes, and it says this, so that my house might be Jesus will never settle for anything else than everybody. That's why he sent his son. He gave it all. He put it all on the line. Not just for a select few. Not just for the ones that were in. But for the ones that were out. For the ones that had blown it. For the ones like me that are messed up, screwed up and stuffed up. And yet Jesus invites us And it all began with the power of a simple invitation. See, church revival happens one life at a time. As we go out and invite, bring, and compel. See, we're going to have to do something like we've never done before if we're going to see God do something He's if we're going to do, allow God to do something we've never seen Him do before. And church, that's why this gateway beyond appeal, or this gateway beyond month, our gateway beyond giving is going to require a generosity like we've never seen before. Because there's more care that needs to be provided through all of our care ministries and all of our different campuses all around this part of Queensland. And we need to continue to support and back and go with all of our beyond workers the right now in some of the deepest and darkest places of the world, like Michael this morning. But we also want to open new doors around our campuses so that we can continue to reach more people. I just want to talk to us for a really quick second for our campus. On the 22nd of July, four years ago, 
we threw open those doors for our very first Gateway Logan service. And since then, God has done so much in the life of our church. But in the background, we've been planning and praying and dreaming on building a building in that back top corner of the building, or the back top corner of the property, so that we could open more doors, so that we can build a building that was larger and had purpose-built kids, kids' rooms, youth rooms, our own counseling center, care areas, and offices. But then COVID hit. And rightly so, we put pause to everything that was going on. But church, we're in a moment. See how right now, I had a little moment at the start of the service. As we came and collected communion, I had a text from one of the young mums saying, is communion before the kids can go out because my daughter wants to come and take communion with me this morning. I loved watching our little kids come forward in their faith and say, Jesus, I want to come and I want to stop and remember and give gratitude to you. And right now, we've got a kids' building that's packed. We've got teenagers having to sit outside because there's nowhere else for them to go. We've got a care ministry that is breaking and has a, because there's too many people needing too much help and we have a a waiting list. We're sending more and more people to various different campuses to get their counseling centers. We can only do, we have to do this because we've only got limited capacity and limited space. And we've got a passion to launch a ministry for people stepping out of prison so that they could find that there's a place just like us here where they can belong and receive some support to get back on their feet. You know, we've just started in the last couple of weeks a, a connect and play group for young mums and their kids. Next term, we kick off our community, reno stuff into, and our ministries into our local community, getting outside the four walls of our church. But we lack the space to keep growing. And it is costing us. But I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see what God has next for us, His church. But it is going to cost us. We're not going to take up any other offerings and do any other things during the year. This is the only one that we do. But this is our time, church. See, I'm passionate about investing into the next generation. I'm passionate about reaching people who would never think that they could ever step in the walls of a church and yet realize there is a church that actually cares about them and won't judge them, but will love them and help them. See, I'm passionate about reaching people with the good news of Jesus. I'm passionate about bringing revival to this city because it so needs it. But it's going to take us all to so, genera- so generously financially together so that we can open more doors for more people in our community. Jesus offers an invitation. Jesus offers in this, in this parable a, a moment and offers an invitation for every single person. 
regardless of what your, what your background is, what your skin color is, your, your racial background, religious background, financial, whether you're financially elite or whether you're in the right socioeconomic or, or community standing. He offers the same invitation to all. He says, everyone who comes through the doors is welcome. Everyone who comes through the doors is accepted. But I want a church of the last couple of years has done two things in our lives. First thing, I, I wonder if we've forgotten the power of the invitation. See, it's been hard to invite people to church, hasn't it? We had to do check-in, and that was confusing. And then we had to do the, you know, you, you did the scanning thing, and then you had to, you know, had to wear masks, and then you, you know, there was the rules associated, and then you had to do social distancing. Then you had to like it was like one every four people, and if you were if you're in the same family, I think you're allowed to see. It was just confusing, and it made it really hard. And then there was hand sanitizers. Like, there was hand sanitizers everywhere. It was like you could just bet there's more hand sanitizers in the communion. You know, it was, it was just everything was going on, and and I kind of wonder if maybe. We just decided it was too hard to invite people to hear about the good news. See, we forgot about the power of an invitation. One of the things we we're going to do next, next term is we're moving Alpha from here to one of the local little cafes just in Marsden. And we're picking everyone's bills for coffee and for cakes. There's free coffee and cake for everyone as long as you bring someone along. Invite someone to that space to go, hey, will you come and just... Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you've got some things that you want to explore. Hey, you know what? We're doing this thing. Love you to come along and do that next term. But I reckon the second thing we've forgotten is that we've lost our, lost our urgency to reach out. I was thinking about it during the week and going, I wonder why that is. I wonder why. I wonder if it's because we've all got problems. Don't nudge the person next to you at that moment, just to, to say. We've all got problems. We've got our own frustrations and anxieties and difficulties. And it's, we've thought it's too hard to reach out because we're tired and we're burnt out. But I just sensed this morning, as I've been sensing over the last few weeks, that God is beginning a work through His Holy Spirit in our lives this morning. That He's beginning to heal some of the hurt. Beginning to heal some of the pain. Beginning to heal some of the frustration. Beginning to heal some of the burnout and some of the things that we've all wrestled with. And today is a new day. But we've got to remember, revival happens one person at a time. Can I encourage you with two challenges? Invite someone to sit down with you and share your story. And invite someone to come and sit in church with you. See, in the Crindle Research, we invite the team up. The Crindle Research just did some research around this area. And they said that, that one in two millennials, so that's under 25, would come to church if their friend invited them. Now, stats don't, they, they get a little bit not as good news uh, once you start getting past 25, but it's, they say that one in three or one in four of your friends would come to church if we invited them. If we said, will you come and sit with me? 
So I want to ask you the question, who are you inviting? What's the one that God's putting on your heart in this moment? And what invitation, and what will you do with that invitation? I don't want to close with telling you about a young guy whose name was Albert McMakin. Albert McMakin was a, was a 24-year-old farmer. And at 24 years old, he somehow found his way into a church one night. And, and he arrived in a church and the guy up the front shared about Jesus. And that night, he walked down the front and gave his life to Jesus. His life was so changed that he began to fill up his truck. Now, this is a while ago, and you were allowed to do this. Uh, fill up his truck with his friends and drive them to the church with the hope and the prayer that they might meet Jesus too. And, and so he, he began doing this. And then he noticed his neighbor had a son, a teenage son. And, and he felt like God kind of put it on his heart to go to, to this young guy and invite him along. And so he went to this young guy, did up the courage, kind of, kind of, he went and asked him and he said, no. You see, the challenge for this young guy, he was more focused on girls and he wouldn't come. I mean, fancy that. A teenage boy who was more distracted by girls than God. I know that seems outrageous, but that does happen. Then Albert McMakin had a good idea. See, he knew that the, his neighbor's teenage son liked his truck. And so he said, hey, young guy, i got an idea. Do you want to have a drive of my truck? And he pulled his keys out of his pocket. And the young guy's eyes glinted with a big smile on his face. He said, sure. He said, all right, you want to come to my place Sunday afternoon about five o'clock and you can drive my truck? He's like, oh, that'd be amazing. 4.49 on that Sunday afternoon. A knock at the door. Albert Macon opens the door and there's the young teenage boy there. He gave me the keys and then filled up his truck with a bunch of other friends. And that night, the young guy drove the truck with all of his friends to that church. And that night, the young boy sat up the back and he sat there with arms crossed, with a scowl on his face. Super not excited by everything that was going on. Maybe he was more concerned about girls than God. But the next night he turned back up. And the night after he turned back up. And week after week, Albert, McNa Mc Mc Albert McMakin's friend's son came to church. And one night, that young teenage boy walked down the aisle and down the front and knelt and gave his life to Jesus. <laughs> the year was 1934. Since that day, Albert's friend has spoken to over 210 million people. 210 million people about Jesus. More than anyone else since. He made friends with 10 American presidents and spoke to almost half the world's population through radio and TV. Albert Macon's friend, his name was Billy Graham.
See, church, I could say right now, what we need to do is we need to be the next Billy Graham. Can I just say, we're probably not going to be the next Billy Graham. Not putting you down. I'm included. But maybe we can be the next Albert McMakin. See, maybe we can invite. Maybe we can bring. And maybe we can compel. See, God is still calling He's saying to us this morning, will you bring revival to our community? But you know what? Right now, that's going to mean that it's going to take courage and conviction. On Thursday this week, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for Nalene's dad. And as I sat up there in front of a bunch of people, some I knew and many I didn't, I never had the privilege of, of meeting Kenneth. But what it did is it reminded me, church, that life is short. That the door one day will be closed on our lives. And that that is the end of everything for us here. But it doesn't have to be the end for someone else. But before we can go out, we need revival to happen here in our lives so that we can open new doors into our community. So we need God to bring revival into these dry bones. So I'm at where you're at this morning. To be honest, I reckon the last couple of years have dried out these bones a little bit too. They've dried out my bones and they've dried out some of my passion for Jesus and for the lost. There's been many moments when I've looked in the mirror and I've said, God, I don't know if I can keep doing this because I'm feeling dry and barren inside. Church, I wish I could say, you know what? And then I prayed and it all changed. I'm saying this morning, I'm still feeling a little dry, still feeling a little barren. But I do know that God can do exceedingly above more than I can possibly dream or imagine. That God, the one that was dead that's now alive, is the one that's still alive. And that today, Pentecost Sunday, His, His Holy Spirit came in a group of people just like this. And He changed them forever. And through them, the world was changed and the world is still changed. So this morning, I'm simply saying to you, where are you at? Are those old, dry bones still dry and still barren? And do you, I sense God saying this morning, He wants to breathe new life, new hope, courage, conviction. Renewal, revival. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.